Hello, and welcome to the Writers' Forum, a weekly production of WRBH Reading Radio. I'm the owner of Tubby & Coo's Mid-City Bookshop and your host, Candace Huber. This week, I'm talking to Jacob Tobia, author of the memoir, Sissy, A Coming of Gender Story. Sissy is a hilarious, heart-wrenching, irreverent, pulls-no-punches memoir about what it's like to grow up not sure exactly where you fall on the gender spectrum, if anywhere. Jacob's snarky voice and brutal honesty will guarantee that you never think about gender the same way again. Jacob is a gender nonconforming writer, producer, and performer based in Los Angeles. A member of both the Forbes 30 Under 30 and the Out 100, Jacob's writing and advocacy have been featured by MSNBC, The New York Times, Time, The Guardian, and Teen Vogue, among others. A Point Foundation Scholar, Truman Scholar, and member of the Biden Foundation's Advisory Council for Advancing LGBTQ Equality, Jacob has worn high heels in the White House twice. And welcome, Jacob. It's so good to have you here. I'm so glad to be able to join you. So I would love to hear about this high heels White House experience. Was that recently? Um, no, it okay. was most certainly not recently. <laughs> I was um, a I little afraid. Probably, if I tried to wear high heels into the White House under the current administration, they would they would probably like. I bet security would like see me out. Right. You know, they'd be like, they'd be like, sorry, your gender presentation doesn't match our Secret Service records, <laughs> so you're not allowed in here because you can't have an M on your ID documents and also have a pair of heels on your feet and a dress on. Right. I think they would probably like, they would they would pull something ridiculous. Although honestly, it might. Be be really good grounds for like a court case although with the su- current makeup of the supreme court it probably wouldn't go anywhere probably but like not. you know it's like it would be blatant sex discrimination so we could like you know anyway so no it was not it was Recently. not under okay. the current administration <laughs> because i don't think that that's possible um but and also because they don't have they don't have cool queer parties at the white house anymore that's under the current sort of pitch. Um, although people do uh, talk that, about bravery and i was gonna be like that is so brave of you <laughs> Oh, no, that was not. I mean, I would. Right. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I mean, the thing the thing is, the thing is, I just can't think of a reason why I would be going into a meeting in the White House or like an event in the White House in the current setup, um, because I just don't think I, I don't even know. I feel like, you know, at this point, even if even if like. You know, someone reached out and said, hey, we're trying to figure out more about this trans thing. I'd be like, this is a trap. This is a setup. Like, this is not even real. Right. Like, nope, absolutely not. I am not coming in there because you're going to put me in some cell or something and I'm never going to make it out. Like, it's this true. Is not, they're going to, like, trick me into a conversion th- camp and I'm not. No, absolutely not. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't go there because I wouldn't trust it. Um, I'm laughing because only have, because I have no other reaction right now. <laughs> right. Like, it's like kind of it's like this is dark comedy, you know, which right. you can look forward to when reading my I was about to say, which I I was about to say is exactly your book, which is super irreverent and silly and hysterical, but it's also pretty serious and gut wrenching at times. Like obviously the subject matter is serious, but you approach it from such a lighthearted way. So when you set out to write this book, did you have a particular like style? Did you know that you wanted to be funny or did it just, is that just your personality and that's how it came out? Um, part of it is just like innately, I am incapable of taking myself too seriously. Like I just, I just don't know how to do it. Like I can't get through a party without making like like twelve dad jokes. You know, <laughs> right. I'm very non-binary in that way because I make dad jokes and lipstick. Right. Um, so you know, like so I, I can't, I can't, I don't know how to like not 
laugh about things. But also, I mean, you know, I think I think humor is a really it is both a really powerful coping mechanism when we're going through it um, and and also a really powerful um, way to heal and transform and reclaim our stories. You know, like one of my one of my goals is I, I as a writer was like I I want this book to be funny for my own pride. You know, because right. I, I pride myself on being able to, like, you know, make some killer jokes. Um, and but also, like, you know, I don't want to recount any story of 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 like, you know, of challenge or or trauma or what have you without also finding the humor in it. You know, and that looks like a bunch of different things for me. But for me, the reason and the reason I don't want I, I didn't want to do that without finding the humor in it is because finding the humor in things is also finding your power in them for me because when you're able to when you're able to find the humor you're able to step above the situation and say that it didn't control you you controlled it you know that like this trauma isn't steering you you're steering it that these challenges didn't crush you that you overcame them and can look at them from above now you know so it's it's also about kind of the tone of the thing so like a really good example of that is that I have this um I have this section in the book where I I talk about because I went to Duke for undergrad and was just (laughs) way too queer for that place um and uh I mean I probably would have been too queer for like any school that wasn't like Oberlin or like some like you know music conservatory in the woods Mm -hmm. or like Warren Wilson College in North Carolina that's just like like a hippie college where everyone like lives in tents like I think I would have been too queer for almost any place um, because I'm not just queer, I'm also socialist, which me- means that you're too queer even for like Yale, because they'd be like, oh, you don't love capitalism? And I'd be like, no. And they'd be like, oh, that's really uncomfortable for us. Like, right. Proper capitalist gays. Um, so like, anyway, so, you know, I went to Duke for undergrad and, uh, and, and, you know, there was the, the moment that I first sort of put on um, adult, like put on lipstick and nail polish of my own volition, complete, like for no reason, not for like a gender bender day, not for a drag performance, just, just for a Tuesday night, you know, um, was it, 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 the story ended out, ended up sort of playing out like uh, very, very sort of high school, like a, like a sappy lifetime high school movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I went to the, went into the dining hall and then some football player scooted his chair out in front of me. And then like, you know, uh, like, said something about it in front of all the kids, the whole table of jocks, you know, and then everyone kind of watched it happen. And then I just sort of like had a little Weasley retort that wasn't even really a retort. It was just kind of me being like, okay, I'm walking away now. And then I like went and sat down with my friends and then tried to report it to like, you know, the coaches and stuff. And it just, nothing happened. And it actually was pretty devastating because it, you know, it, it, it taught me a lesson that I think um, is, has been true in a lot of my life experience, which is just that you know, trans people can be mistreated without justice, very, you know, most of the time. The norm is that trans people don't get justice right. when we are mistreated by the world, you know? So anyway, the story itself, like, in terms of what it taught me, was pretty devastating. Um, and, it, and, it, and it, you know, it, and it was at the time, and it still is to look back on. But I also was like, I gotta, I gotta at least, like, have a moment where I can find some humor in this and reclaim my power in it. And so what I have is I have this whole monologue um, where you don't realize until the very end that it's not that I, that it didn't actually happen, mm-hmm. right? Like you think it's. I just keep. I just like you know. You think it's. You think it's what I actually said and what's actually happened in the story. And I just give this whole monologue where I like berate the where I like berate the hell out of this guy and like you know re, like just and just tell him like everything that he needs to hear about how he's insecure in his masculinity and that's why he's taking out it on. That's why he's taking it out on me. And probably he's a little turned on and that's and he doesn't understand it and that's why he feels like he has to say something, mm-hmm. you know. And also like you know that oh does he do you feel like 
like a man now that you've belittled, a, you know, a femme person in front of your, you know, football friends. Like, you know, maybe if the team was doing better, you'd have grounds to do that, but you haven't won a game all season. You know, it's like I have this whole rant that I go off on in the book. It's a fantasy. You know, when it ends with me just like it ends with me like hopping in a pink Corvette with like FKA Twigs and Robert Pattinson and um, yeah. Taylor Lautner, you know, and, and <laughs> Taylor being like, oh, honey, we've been waiting for you. You know, so it just goes it goes from sort of like something that feels almost real to just very absurdist very quickly. Yeah. But for me, like that fantasy, like reminding ourselves, uh, it, like there's something so powerful in, in finding finding the way to laugh in the face of that situation and also finding a way to like actually spin what an alternative narrative could look like, right. you know, and, and what, what I hope for the world. So, you know, humor, yeah, humor was integral to the process for me, both in terms of me healing and sort of like, you know, like suturing my little heart back together, but also in terms of, um, you know, as, as, as a craft and as an artist, I just, it was really important to me to, to, to let loose and, and find a way to make the book, um, to make the book really fun to engage with. Cause I, you know, that's, that's my biggest pet peeve is we all, all our conversations about gender. We are, we are so serious about it. And I just come in like the Joker, just being like, why is so serious y'all? Like, yep. like a Southern, like a Southern Joker. <laughs> Cause I had a y'all at the end. <laughs> Can you imagine if that was the lie? Of the movie? That would be amazing. Why so serious y'all? Like that would really kind of kill the vibe. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but it's like, you know, I just, I just, I'm like, you know, like, I just feel like a world in which everything about gender must be taken seriously and must be modeling and thematic, um, is a world in which we're never going to find gender freedom because play is the name of the game. You know, like, 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 you know, the, like, I feel like, you know, the, the famous RuPaul line is, uh, you're born naked, the rest is drag. And I, my take on that is you're born naked, the rest is dress up. Mm-hmm. I love that. And you were talking earlier, too, about just humor as a way of being objective. And what I think is, and that's totally true, and I was actually reading this study earlier, not that long ago, that talked about that, that said, if you can't laugh about something, then it means it's too close to you or you're taking it you know, too hard or, or too personally or too seriously. If you can laugh about something, it means that you can be objective about it and and right. you know like you're saying it's it's a it's a way of reclaiming and I love that view of humor. That's so interesting. The the idea that I like that study I haven't I haven't seen it but I would love to read it. The the idea that being able to have a sense of humor about something is means that you have enough emotional distance in which yeah. to actually look at it kind of more objectively. Yeah. And that's so that speaks so true. That speaks very very much to like my experience of um of like of trauma, like the moment I can make a joke about something and kind of and really make it and feel good about it is the moment that I'm able to actually look at how things happened. But before I can get to that point, like if I can't joke about something and I, you know, I just kind of shut down. Yes. Um, I'm yeah. the same exact way. Uh, joking has always and humor has always been a coping mechanism for me as well. So it was it was interesting to hear that, that it's like, oh, if you can joke about something, you can be objective. I guess you can also go in the direction that if you can joke about something, maybe you're emotionally distant from it, which could be good or bad, <laughs> depending. But, right, right. And, you know, I think that there are definitely times, there are definitely times where you can, where you, where we all see people joking about something that they're clearly not over. Right. Um, and if you identify a little bit of that in Sissy, I mean, you're not totally off base. <laughs> 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 like, you know. Like, I'm not going to act like, oh, yeah, the idea that, like, my gender was desecrated before I had active memories isn't, like, something that still brings me a level of, like, oh, my God, what world do we live in? Right. Um, you know, but but I think that 
yeah, I think I think that the ability to joke about stuff is I think it's just it's a practice that is worth cultivating um, and it's a practice worth cultivating as a community. And honestly, it's a really I think it's a really kind of seductive path for social change because it's really fun. Like when you make that, that's I think our answer to sort of conservative hatred is progressive joy and progressive humor. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yeah. I think I think when you look at you know, when you look at like like the antidote to Bill O'Reilly is not like a serious political speech by a leftist person necessarily. I think the antidote to Bill O'Reilly is Jon Stewart. Right. Right. Yeah. Because he's being funny. (laughs) Right. Right. And he's, and it's so, and it's just so, it's so effortless and so seductive because it's so effortless. Right. Yeah. I, I, I really like that. I've never thought about that, but I don't know how to make jokes. They just rail and rail and rail. They're just angry all the time. And like totally unreasonable. And then like the moment that we can be like, oh, mm, like it's, that's not like that's not totally a fun world to live in. Why would you want to live in fear all the time? Let's live in humor. Right. And then everyone's like, oh, OK, yeah. <laughs> I'd rather watch that because it's funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and also just in general, I got so much out of this book. I loved it so much just personally uh, and mainly just that like my experiences aren't weird or, or different or just like a one-off thing that no one else has ever gone through, which is kind of how you feel growing up as a gender non-conforming person. So thank you for telling your story. But also, I still kind of feel like even though it's becoming more talked about, I guess, that it's still kind of non-binary is still on the fringes of things. So why do you think that gender is so much more difficult for people than something like, you know, sexuality, which people seem, I guess, because it's it can also be binary, right? Gay, straight. It seems that people don't understand the gray areas as much. Yeah, I mean, I think that actually the the sort of non-binary conversation, which also like just side note, I don't know, like there was a period of time where, you know, there was there was kind of it was kind of up in the air what the big term was going to be for the full community. Yeah. And I still kind of like gender non-conforming more just because the term non-binary, it sort of feels like it feels like, oh, yeah, I'm not a computer, Mr. Zuckerberg. You know what I mean? <laughs> it does, like, it feels yeah. very like I'm not zeros and ones. It feels very technical and scientific in a way that like my gender has never felt technical nor scientific. Right. It's just like messy with no borders. And it's always like all over the place. Like if you wanted to quantify it, it'd be impossible. Right. You know, and so I feel like the term non-binary, while I use it for myself, because it's a community of people who use it now, I'm kind of grumpy that historically that's what won out because I don't feel like that's the sexiest PR. Yeah. You know, like I think the term genderqueer is so much more exciting yep. to me and has so many more possibilities because it sort of it implies like gender or like even gender weird. I love the term gender weird. I wish that were the identity. Like I wish we were like, hey, we're gender weirdos and we're not going to take it. That was like how we were rallying because I feel like it's kind of it, it, I don't know. It's just the idea that something so free and strange and beautifully strange, you know, like, cause I feel like, you know, there are, there are, there are moments in my life where I feel beautifully strange, like that non-binary feels like a technical way to talk about that. That is like weird. Anyway, it so does. that's just like a, a personal pet peeve where I'm like, we need to probably think about that as a movement, but like, I'm not going to do that yet. And I'm just going to keep writing books and we'll, we'll figure it out together. <laughs> yes. Um, but, but, um, wait, and I, I totally lost track of your original question. That's okay. <laughs> um, I was wondering, why do you think gender is so much more difficult for people to grasp than other things? That's been my experience oh, anyway, that so people... I actually, 
I don't think it is more. I think gender and sexuality are equally difficult for people to grasp yeah. because people are not capable of grasping any middle area. That's the thing. They yeah. need one of two categories. And it's not that. And, and, and I don't think, you know, people like to pretend that there's some innate need, like some evolutionary need for people to, you know, people like must have one of two things, you know, like that, like, like, you know, evolutionary biologists, I feel like have that idea and talk about it as if that's scientific. And I'm like, just because we culture, we're cultured to have a paranoia about gender doesn't mean that a paranoia about gender is at all natural or innate to humans. Right. I think if you look at indigenous cultures across the world, in fact, being paranoid about gender is is less natural. Right. I think that most like most like many, if not most indigenous cultures across the world before colonization, before you know the homogenization of Western gender binary, white, blah, 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 nonsense. Like they had gender nonconforming people who were just accepted as part of the community and were a natural part of sort of the human order. Like yeah. it's just how it was because it is just how it is, you know? Right, exactly. So, so I think that people have a lot of trouble with these gray areas only because we've been cultured to have trouble with these gray areas. But I would argue that like bisexual people and pansexual people face the same kind of confusion and, and disgruntledness that like, you know, gender nonconforming or gender queer or non-binary folks like me face, because both of us sit in the middle and say, we're not one or the other. Right. You know, and people are like, wait, but you're not exclusively attracted to men or women. And they're like, no, I'm attracted to like a multitude of gender expressions and identities. And they're like, Oh no, I don't know how to process (laughs) that. I don't know what that means. And the same thing true of like, are you're not a boy or a girl? And you're like, I prefer to embrace a multitude of gender expressions and identities. And they're just like, cannot compute, you know? <laughs> it's true. And like, yeah. they like, and their processors overload and then their brains blow up. <laughs> um, so I feel like in some ways, you know, to me, I, I and the, the longer I'm an advocate in this space and the longer I'm sort of a public person in this space, the longer, the more I, I'm, I'm getting grounded in the fact that like the liberate, that sort of like bi and pansexual folks and like gender nonconforming folks, we have so much in common and so much to learn from each other and a really sort of shared goal around like, look, none of this stuff fits in boxes and that's not the fun way to do it. And the other thing is that personally, I'm very invested in like buy and pan liberation because that's my ideal partner. So right. I need y'all to get liberated so that we can get liberated. If you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, you know what I mean? absolutely. Because I'm, par- I'm very liberated in my stuff, but it's hard to find partners who are equally liberated in theirs. Yes. And by liberated, I just mean able to acknowledge what they actually want. Because, right. you know, there's like, there's lots of studies. It's very fascinating. There's lots of studies back, back in the day when like homophobia was the big thing everyone was discussing. Mm-hmm. A bunch of psychologists did a lot of studies. And I remember reading about one where they found scientifically like they strapped like monitoring devices to the um to the genitals of uh of 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 i I believe the study was with men um and and gauged their like and asked them about like you know asked them about like how homophobic they were and then showed them uh you know like gay erotica and the people who reported the most homophobia had the greatest biological empirical response of being turned on by gay erotica. That's not like, shocking. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's not shocking at all, but just, I just yeah, want to know that there's science there. And the same exact thing is true for trans folks, mm-hmm. right? The people who are most transphobic just are most interested. And right. I have deep shame about that. And I need them to get over it because we can have a lot of fun if you get to the other side, honey. There's, right. there's a pot of gold <laughs> on the end of that rainbow. You just got to leap on across. Keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> yeah. And it's also like, it's also like, it's one of those things where, you know, I think that thinking about the violence against trans people, um, there's, there's a way in which it's, it's, it's devastating 
Um, and this sort of street harassment that I experienced with a gender non-conforming person, there's a way in which it is just so dehumanizing. It makes it hard to leave the house. Like, it's, it's really, like, truly the embodied experience of living in a gender non-conforming body is, is scary and inhumane very often. Mm-hmm. But there's also this part of me that can't help but be like, honey, if you could just say that you wanted to do me, then, like, you know, you could, A, I wouldn't have to be street harassed, and B, like, you probably, you could probably get it. <laughs> Just ask me out. It's fine. (laughs) Just ask me out. Like, you know, go on. Like, come on. Like, what? Like, don't don't like, what are you doing? It's very frustrating. Yes. I'm perpetually single. Like the one (laughs) thing I will say about being gender nonconforming male bodied person who's attracted predominantly to like men and masculine center folks, which there's obviously gray area exceptions to that. Mm -hmm. But the thing I can say is that like, it is a lonely road and all my friends who are in the same boat are pretty much like up, you know, up, up shit Creek. Can I say, can I say (laughs) that? You can. Yes. That's fine. Not sure what I'm allowed to say on the radio. Sorry, FCC. Yes. The S word is fine. FCC is going to be like, you can't say trans on the radio. Right. (laughs) That's true. Um, So in talking about a lot of this stuff and, and just the world in general, what do you hope to accomplish with this book? Do you have any goals? Or are you just going to like go with the flow and seeing how it goes? Well, I mean, what I can tell you is that I don't have any goals around how many copies it sells or whether or not it makes bestseller lists. I just mm-hmm. could not care less about those things. Yeah. Um, because, it's, you know, they're not even empirical, most of them. And also like the idea that mass volume is what determines whether or not your creative heart is of worth. Like that's stupid and not a good way to approach the world anyway. Yeah. Um, so I don't care. You know, I, I care about the book being read by people who need it and and people who need it most. And I hope and I'm hopeful that we'll be able that it'll be able to be enough of a cultural phenomenon that people who who the, that the people who need it most will actually pick it up. Because I think the, the, the sort of irony of a book like this. Um, is that half of the people who need it most are people like in our community, you know, like people who are trans and queer yeah. who need to see themselves reflected so- somewhere and need a place to like feel and revisit some things in their lives, you mm-hmm. know. But then the other half of the, the other people who need it desperately are the people who just don't know anything about what this experience is and might be about to raise a gender nonconforming kid, whether or not they know it, you know, or are just humans in the world who, who don't know anything about what someone like me experiences. And my hope is that the book has enough cultural saturation that those folks will be curious enough to pick it up and will be able to engage with it and find a new way to relate to somebody that they thought they couldn't relate to. Because, you know, I think, in, I think in the kind of digital age we're in, um, you know, the, the, there's a lot of people in this country who only associate gender nonconforming and trans and non-binary people um, with yelling at them on social media. Right. You know, like... Like, I feel like there's a lot of people who are like, look, my only experience with your community is watching you yell at yell at me on Twitter. And I'm like, well, like, honey, like, A, you probably deserve it. But B, like, you know, we can have other cadences here, but you got to buy my book. Right. You know, like and and I hope that people will be able to engage with willing to be able to engage with me in, 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 in a very different way that is. And that's the thing, too, is I feel like books and publishing are so underrated these days because they're, you know, they're, the idea is that they're not, quote unquote, interactive. Mm-hmm. Right. But to me, it's like the, the idea what you're able to say in a book length work, what you're able to get across when you have 100,000 words instead of like 50 is 
so I bring so much more depth and human and, and humanization to it, right? Like I think that there's something deeply intimate and interactive about reading someone's book start cover to cover. You know, the closest I've ever felt to artists is not when I'm looking at their social media feeds, but when I'm reading their work long form or watching their film, you know, for an hour and a half and like really getting into their world. And so my hope is that people will be able to um, will be able to access. Um, that some people maybe who haven't found a way to access gender nonconforming people or, or learn to celebrate us um, will be able to access that. That's my dream. Absolutely. And another study, because I'm a big nerd, and obviously I guess I read studies all the time. I love it. <laughs> it we're just, reminds we're just me like, of that. We're just like science gender weirdos. Totally, totally. And it was, well, because I, I also own a bookstore, and so I was reading a study about books, and like you were saying how it's a more intimate and, and how people say it's not interactive, but it is. And this study uh, proved that books make people more empathetic. So when yes. you're reading a book, because you are literally put in your mind in someone else's shoes, whether it's a main character or in this case, a memoir, you know, you are you are actually in your brainwaves experiencing the things as the person in the book is. And so it makes right. you more empathetic. And I just thought that was so interesting and that you're, you're right, that people don't give books enough credit. Yeah. And, and like, you know, people have told me like a lot of people and some like, like strangers and people I know, um, and this, that's the other thing that's really interesting about writing a memoir is actually the people in your life hardly know you half the time, right, you know, that's like true. even people they've known, they've known an iteration of you when they met you, but like, they don't know your childhood, you know, like they don't know, you know, we don't sit down and have these conversations with each other. So people who've read it, both my friends, like pe my friends and, and, and um, also like strangers have, you know, have told me like, yeah, like I was, you know, I, you had me at tears at multiple points and then also in tears, but laughter tears at others. Um, and, and, you know, I think that that, 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 that really is about empathy because you're able to, you're feeling this as, as the character, you're feeling this as the person. Right. Um, and, and yeah, and I think there's, I think there's something that we've really um, underrated about that as a culture, because I don't think that you have the same response when you're scrolling through Instagram. I, I just don't totally think that, agree. I, I don't think that's what happens. I don't think you have the same response. Maybe on YouTube, if you've like watched someone forever, yeah. even then you're not living in their story, you're consuming their brand, right. you know? And, 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 you know, and, and this project like is, is very different than that. You know, it's not a brand building enterprise. Like if I wanted to do a brand building enterprise, I probably would have written something that was like, you know, I don't know. I would have written something that was like that I knew would sell immediately right. rather than something that was true. Right. You know? Yes, absolutely. So what is next for you? What are you working on now? Well, there's I mean, there's a number of things. Um, a, like I'm already dreaming about book two, but mom's the word on that. So no one, you know, well, and, and I'm hoping, you know, it, 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 we'll, we'll see sort of how how this he does. But I, I think that I think that, uh, you know, book two is going to be equally exciting and, and I'm, and I'm already scheming about that. Well, I'm already excited like, that you're scheming about well, it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I want to write like a gajillion books. Like I want to, awesome. I want to be like, you know, I'm like, I want to be like David Sedaris prolific, Amazing. Um, you know, at the end of the day, like, I just, I just want to write books until I'm like, until I'm like old lady and then I'll be, I'll still be writing books. <laughs> yeah. I'll just be like on my porch in a caftan writing books. Amazing. You know? Yeah. Um, and uh, so there's so there's that. But then there's also, uh, you know, there's also some 
we, we have optioned the book to a production company. We're thinking about what, you know, we're very, very, very early stages. So like, you know, who knows where it'll happen, but we're in early talks about potentially developing it into some sort of film or TV project. Um, so there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff on the horizon. And then also I, you know, after the book's out, um, you know, I'm, I'm planning to spend a lot of time auditioning my face off because I'm really trying to, I really just like, I, I haven't, been pers- I feel like I put my acting heart and my performer's heart on the side while I wrote this thing, and I really want to get back on stage and get back on screen. Um, so I'm, you know, doing doing that kind of stuff, and then maybe might like might dabble in some stand up. I don't know. I feel cool. like that's a fun place that I haven't tried. So, you know, just like a lot of a lot of like artistic experimentation and 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 messing around. Well, I'm excited to see what you end up doing. Your work is awesome. Well, I'm excited to see how it works out, too. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here and talking to me today. It was wonderful. Yes. And I hope to um, because you're you're in New Orleans, right? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. I hope to get to New Orleans sometime soon. It's not on my official book tour, but like it's on my bucket list. New Orleans would be a good place for you to come, I think. Because I think I might do like a second book tour that I organize myself. Uh, we'll figure it out. Amazing. I'll, I'll be in touch about Definitely that. let me know. <laughs> yeah. All Thank right. Thank you so well, much. Good talking to you. You okay. too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. That was Jacob Tobiah, author of the memoir Sissy, A Coming of Gender Story, releasing Tuesday, March 5th. You've been listening to The Writers' Forum, a weekly production of WRBH. You can catch our show every Thursday at 3 p.m. and again on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. This show and all of WRBH's programs, including my podcast, Novel Ideas, can be found on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash WRBH Reading Radio, as well as on iTunes and Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Candace Huber. Until next time.